Hello, welcome to the podcast of First Church. I'm glad you could join us. This message was preached on our Sunday of service from our senior pastor, Timothy Wisnett, and it was a great word titled, Raise a Ruth. It was a really great word, and I pray you're encouraged and blessed by it once again today. Ruth chapter 1. Beginning at verse number one, if you have it, say amen. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. The name of his two sons was Mahlon and Chilon. Ephrates of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came to the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left and her two sons, and they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other, Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. And Melon and Chilion died also both of them and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people and given them bread wherefore she went forth from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her And they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. Love, I love this portion of this. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. Right alongside all the other ones. But this one sticks out so prominently. Uh, I almost wish we could do this to every church member about once a year. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. Naomi said, turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? See, every once in a while, we need to ask ourselves, why am I even here? Amen. I say we should do that. We don't because some people get offended and run. But every once in a while I say, why why are you even here? Why are you here? She said, said, why are you here? Um, Return each of you to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voice and wept. Verse 10, and they said unto her, surely we, everybody say we, will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi, she tested them again. She said, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Or, in other words, she said, why are, you, why are you going to follow me? Do you think I can produce you some more husbands? You see, there's a lot of folks that, that they only come to church because they're waiting for production. 
But if the only reason you serve God is for production, you're, you're not going to make the journey. In other words, Naomi said, are you going to follow me because of what I can give you? If serving God, if the church to you is nothing more than, a, than an ATM machine, you're going to have a rough time living for God. Because if you know anything about ATM machines, eventually you better, you better make a deposit or there won't be any more withdrawals allowed. Is there any more sons in my womb that they may be your husband? Turn to God again. My daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Then she says, but wait a second. If I, if I should say I have hope, if I should say I have a husband also tonight and should bear sons, would you tarry? Would you wait for them till they were gone? I mean, you might be excited that I'm getting married. You might be excited about the birth, but are you willing to stick around long enough until they're old enough to marry you? See, there's a lot of folks, they get excited about Vision Sunday. They get excited about what God is doing in their life. But are, are you going to, are you go, they, they get excited on Sunday of sacrifice when they pledge it, but are you going to stick around to follow it through? Would you, would you tarry for them? Till they were, would you stay for them from having husbands? In other words, are you going to not marry in the next 16 to 20 years? Would you do that? Would you, if, if I said I had a husband, if I said I was pregnant with twin boys right now, would you wait for them? And a lot of folks will serve God as they long as they know the belly is swollen and the promise is coming. But the moment they realize they have to wait, they're going to just find another church. They're going to find another ministry. They're going to find something to try to get what they want. In other words, are you willing to wait? She said, would you tear for them? Would you stay from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Verse 14, one of the most powerful verses of Scripture. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, and Ruth clave unto her. Amen. I'm not going to share with you my title right now. I'll do that in, in, in just a few moments. And I will tell you that going forward this morning, I, I just, I want to lay the foundation of this story. I want to share with you the context of this story and attempt to show you the constant dichotomy in living for God. The duality of nature you will you will struggle with in living for God and hopefully hopefully will encourage you to make the right choice today and so I want you to pray with me and that the Lord would open your understanding amen as we go forward in this message today Jesus we thank you for this service you have already dealt with us so mightily and so powerfully Lord I pray that touch us today. You would touch our mind and our understanding, that you would give us strength. Lord, that you would, that you would speak to us with great clarity today, God, through encouragement and peace, oh God, that we are in the kingdom for such a time as this. You have ordained us for this moment, and Lord, give us the strength to cleave to it. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said amen. Would you clap your hands to the Lord one more time? Hallelujah. Praise God. 
Praise God. You can be seated. Amen. I love the book of Ruth. It, it is one of the most um, amazing love stories in the entire Word of God. Uh, the book of Ruth was originally part of the book of Judges, which, which is why you hear in the first few verses in the time when the judges ruled Israel. It was originally a part of the book of Judges and was later divided by the translators because of the love story contained within it. I, I, you know, I want to encourage those of you that are reading your Bible uh, daily and you're doing this program and maybe you, you've read the Bible before, you understand the Bible has some amazing stories within the story. As a matter of fact, some of the greatest romance stories are contained in the Word of God. Uh, my wife and I were just talking the other day about some Christian uh, book authors and, and, and this and that. And uh, I, I told her, I said, you, you know, you, you realize, I'm sure, that most of Hollywood's stories of romance are based on the Bible. They just tell them in different ways. The greatest love stories that we know, whether it's forbidden love or, or, or long-term love, those bases come out of the Word of God. In the book of Ruth, for all of you ladies that love romance novels, uh, get in the book of Ruth. Amen. It is, it is a sappy but beautiful romance novel. Amen. And it's a true and powerful story. And so uh, the, the book of Ruth was in the time of Judges. It originally belonged within the book of Judges. And the Bible drops us into this scene where the hand of the Lord had went out against Israel. And uh, there was a famine in Israel. And so uh, uh, Elimelech and his wife Naomi decided they would take their two young sons and they would leave Bethlehem and they would go to Moab. Amen. Uh, because Moab had prosperity and Moab there was food and it wasn't like it is today. If your region had famine, the only thing for you to do was to go to a region that didn't have famine or you would die. Amen. You would starve to death. It wasn't a pleasant time. There was no, there was no Walmart that could get you your kiwi year-round. There was, there was no Rayleigh's that could get you your choice uh, cut of, of lamb shank. Amen. It, it was either feast or famine. And if you didn't want to starve to death in the famine because there was no farmer's almanac, which is still accurate, by the way, and there was no weather channel and there was no predictors uh, to say when the famine was going to end, you would either risk all, stay there and chance on you and your entire family dying or living an excruciating existence, or you would pack up and you would go to where there was food and you would be, you would be a migrant. You would move in, sojourn to another country. And that's, that's exactly what Elimelech did. And they weren't the only Jewish people that did that. Uh, and they went to Moab. Now, here's something you've got to understand about Moab. Moab was not a Jewish country. It was not a country uh, that was monotheistic. It was actually a pagan country. It was a heathenistic country. And to be, to be quite frank about what the Bible said, uh, God detested Moab. Matter of fact, when God looked at Moab, God said that Moab is my wash pot. How many, how many of y'all still wash dishes or have ever in your life washed dishes? Um, when you drain the water um, out of that, out of where you clean the dishes after supper, uh, are, are you tempted at all to scrape up the leftovers and eat those again? While, while that water is there and you see the grease 
that orange grease amongst the white bubbles floating at the top, congealed food all coming together. Are you ever tempted to dip a, a ladle into that water and take a sip? No, it's disgusting. It's filthy, amen. It, it, it is a place of filled with bacteria. It's a place filled with rot and disgust. And God said of Moab, when I look at Moab, I see a filthy place. I see a disgusting place. I see a place of rot and ruin because they are a heathenistic people. And the Moab people, the Moabitist people, they hated the people of God. And uh, Moab, Moab was a type of sin and it was a type of the world, especially in the setting to which I'm talking about. And so Naomi and Elimelech, amen, they leave their home and they go to Moab because times are tough in Judea. I'm going to teach a little while and I may preach a little bit in between it, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to tell you this story because there, there's some parallels and I need to take off my glasses for this because I don't need to see facial expressions. Amen. Um, it's always a dangerous thing to run from Bethlehem, the house of God, to the wash pot just because things ain't good in the house of God. Amen. Now, we can say we know how the story ends. We know how the story ends, but, but the, in the story, Naomi also loses her husband and her two sons. It's a dangerous thing that just because things ain't going your way that you're going to bail out of Bethlehem and run to Moab just be how many people do I know that leave the house of God because it looks more fun over there it looks more enjoyable over there it's more appetite they got more food over there we're over here starving to death we're over here sacrificing for a next meal and they're over there living it up in the lap of luxury but can I tell you uh, just because it looks good and it sounds good and, and because they got everything your flesh desires does not mean it's where you are supposed to be. Is this all right on, on a Sunday morning? And so they leave Bethlehem, the house of God. They leave God's chosen place for them and they go to Moab because times are getting tough. And I understand it's easy for me, amen, hindsight is always twenty twenty to criticize them for leaving, amen, because my family wasn't starving in that time, amen. But, but they didn't just leave. They didn't go from Bethlehem, amen, to uh, Beersheba or they didn't go from Bethlehem to another Jewish nation or a Jewish uh, city state. They went to a place God said is disgusting and filthy. And let me just say this, I've never known anybody to leave the great things of God and it not end up disgusting. As a matter of fact, the Bible would say someone that would leave God, someone that would backslide, someone that would turn away from God, the Bible would say it's like a dog that returns to its own vomit. And so here they go, leaving, times are tough, and there's a famine, and so they bail out. I want to tell you something, amen, I, I, I think I said this last week, amen, the old adage is when the going get tough, the tough get going. That is the worst adage that there is, it's the worst cliche that there is, because when the going get tough, the tough don't get going, the tough get fighting, the tough get praying, the tough get worshiping, the tough get fasting, the tough get interceding, the tough don't just bail out. Can I encourage you this morning? 
You say, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what my family's going through. You don't know what you, I just got to go. I just, I don't feel, but I'm going to tell you something. You don't understand that, that, that God has called you to where you are. You've been saved by the grace of God. There's no less stress being a sinner than there is being a saint. Isn't it amazing how our minds work when, when all of a sudden all hell starts breaking loose in our life and there's stress in the job and there's stress in the marriage and stress in the home and, and just there's, there's all kinds of conflict around us. Isn't it amazing how our corruptible mind works because we start thinking to ourselves, well, I never had it this bad in the world. I mean, when I, I don't remember all this stress. You know why you don't remember all that stress in the world? Because you were too busy looking for an answer in the end of a bottle. You were too wasted, too high, too messed up. You had to numb your pain with all kind of substance of this world. But when you came to Jesus and Jesus found you, he turned it all around. Amen. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. David said, and I paraphrase loosely, he said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in, than live in the palaces of the wicked. You want to know why? Because my worst day living for God was better than my best day living in sin. If Moab was so good, I'd have never left. Amen. That's why often when people, not always, but often when people come to the Lord and they come to salvation, it's because their life is a wreck. And not always, but typically you want their life to be a wreck. So they can remember what God saved them from. Amen. It, it happens, but it's rare that the, that the uh, PhD or the, or the, you know, the orthopedic surgeon just... One day, sipping a glass of wine, eating filet mignon and caviar. That's filet mignon for all you, filet mignon for all you educated folks. And, and, and sniveling on caviar and uh, all kinds of other fancy foods just says, oh, today I need the Lord Jesus. I don't know why they speak British, but they do. They, they, they don't just, you know get up and dust off their, you know, $9,000 sports coat and go, well, I think I'll go to the house of the Lord today and give my life to No, it, it, it's usually when that same guy's wife ran off on him. Kid just OD'd on heroin. And they realized my citizenship of Moab ain't worth it anymore. So why in the world would we ever leave Bethlehem and go to the place of filth? But Naomi and Elimelech do. They get up and they take their two sons with them. And they get to Moab and they're there a short time. We, we, we don't know exactly how long from the time they got to Moab. To the t and, and it wasn't like they just load up a U-Haul and they're there. It was a treacherous journey. Matter of fact, it was, it was a very dangerous, filled with robbers and thieves and 
on, on the path. Uh, not only that, but Sister Michael, they had to deal with the terrain was awful. The mountainous passes, the canyons they had to go through, the threat of, of starvation and drought. And it wasn't like they could pack up, you know, their, their yippy cooler full of food, amen, because they were in a famine. They, they were going to eat berries and they were going to eat grass and they were going to take little animals along with them that they could kill and eat along the way. But since there was a famine, there was very little of that left. It was already a tremendous risk to leave. And we don't know how long it was after they get to Moab that Elimelech dies. And we don't know for certain that Elimelech didn't die from something that had happened on the journey. But shortly after they get to Moab, Elimelech dies. And Naomi and her sons cannot afford to go back to Bethlehem. So they stay put for 10 years. Her two sons marry Moabitess women. And their she, they begin to make a life for themselves. And we don't know what happened, in, we don't know what happened to the two sons. We don't know exactly what had taken place in their life. But they die without sons, without daughters, without children. Naomi is now left having no blood family in the nation of Moab. Her life, to say, to say it rocked her world would be an understatement. And after her sons die, it dawns on her, you know, I really don't belong here in Moab. I, I really, I, I'm not a citizen of this nation. I, I don't have a lot in common with these people. We don't speak the same language. We don't have the same culture. We don't even serve the same God. I'm, I'm an old woman, and I don't want to die in a pagan, heathenistic, foreign nation. I want to go home to die because now she had heard that the famine was over and she wanted to go back home. And so Naomi, shortly after the funeral, tells her two daughters-in-law, that uh, uh, Orpha and Ruth, they say to her, she says to them rather, uh, girls, I'm going back home. I never belonged in this place to begin with. I'm not a citizen of this country. My heart is yearning to go home. And so I am going to make the rough, tough journey by myself. And I'm going back to Bethlehem, Judea. Amen. And the Bible said that, that she uh, looked at her two daughters and she kissed them. And they lifted up their voice and they began to weep. They loved their mother-in-law. She was such a she was a jewel. They, they saw her as, a, as a, a royal woman, like a queen. And, and they could not imagine their lives without her. And so they lifted up their voices and they wept. And they said, we are going to go with you. And Naomi, a man who 10 years earlier, who had just taken that passage herself, knew how treacherous the journey was. She knew the hardships of going through the mountainous, canyonous, dry passes that she was going. She knew there would be robbers. She knew there would be thieves. She knew the dangers that were lying in wait. And she said, no, I, I want you to stay here. Amen. You're both young enough to remarry and have families. I, I release you to, to marry and have husbands and have children of your own. Amen. But that wasn't enough for them. They lifted up their voice and the Bible said they wept again. And Naomi now a little perturbed that, that she did not, they 
did not yield to her advice. Uh, she says she begins to test them now. She realizes these girls had a greater affinity to her than just her sons. And, and, and she says to them, she says, you know, uh, why, why would you even go with me? Uh, I, I don't understand it. I'm an old woman. I, I, I'm poor. I'm, I'm going to go back. And I, I know I have a house and a little bit of land, but, but I'm, I'm going home to die. I, I don't have anything that I can give you. I mean, I know you love me and I love you, but girls, listen to me. You are better off here with your own people, with your own kind, with your own culture. Amen. You, you, girls, I'm going back to a monotheistic nation. Uh, you people are pagan. You, you worship a multiplicity of God. You detest my religion. Amen. You didn't even convert when you married my sons. Amen. You're about to go into a nation that will hate you and despise you if you worship a multiplicities of God. We believe in one God. Amen. And, and, and so you're not going to be accepted. You're going to be an outcast. And uh, so I want you to stay here because there's nothing I can do for you. And the more that she tried to turn them away, the more they protested. And finally, amen, all of a sudden her frustration begins to boil over and she begins to ask the direct and poignant question. You ever had a salesperson just beat around the bush with you? Amen. I, I don't like that mess. I, I go into a car dealership and I say, this is what I'm willing to pay. And, 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 and this is what I'm going to give you down and this is or what I'm going to trade. And uh, this, Brother Gus, this is the number I'm going to come out to. And I'm, and, and I'm going to save you and me about three hours of fighting and fussing and all that stuff. And if you look at this, you got 10 minutes, tell me you can do it or not. And if you come back and it doesn't include everything I want, then listen, no hard feelings. It's just the price of playing ball. I'm just going to go somewhere else. And, and and then they come back in, and inevitably they walk in with the sales manager, don't they, Brother Gus? Because they don't believe you, do they? And then you, and then you look at them and you say, listen here, sucker. I mean, gentlemen, here's what I said. I said I was going to pay that, but you don't understand the benefits of this and that, and they're going to sell you on this and that, and the price of tea in China and everything else. And then I get up from the table, and, and I say, no, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to go somewhere. I, it's, it's no hard feelings. Amen. I, it, it's just, it, this, I hate, I'm going to tell you something. I hate buying cars. I hate it. I despise it. Amen. I don't know what school they go to to learn how to jaw jack about nothing. Amen. But they do, and they will sell you, and they're demanding, demanding, Amen. That one of the best car experiences I ever had was I bought my Kia Optima and I bought it at CarMax. I was in and out driving the car in 35 minutes. It was the best experience I had. Brother Miranda didn't have to negotiate. They told me how much the car cost. They weren't going to take a dime less. Same thing. That I said, well, hallelujah, I can do that. Amen. I, I had my picture holding the key and a big yellow bow on top of it in 35 minutes. I loved it. Amen. And so Naomi, is, she's not giving them a sales pitch about how wonderful. And she's telling them, girls, look, I am old. Do you look at me? I am old. The bags under my eyes have bags under their bags. Amen. I'm an old woman now. My, my womb is shut. I, I, I can't have sons. And it's almost like her frustration begins to boil over. as she said, but wait a second. What, what if I did say I could have sons? Now she's beginning to do the love test. What, what if I did say that I was, I was pregnant with twins even right now? Amen. Would, would you stay from being married? Would you hang around long enough until they were born? And of course she knew the answer to that. And she said, 
no, my daughters, you're young. Go back your way. Go to your families. Go to your house. I pray that you find peace in each one of your houses. I forgive you. I release you. There's no debt. You don't owe me anything. I don't owe you anything. Amen. Can I tell you, sometimes in living for God, the enemy is going to try to sell you on every reason why you should walk away. And God is sitting there and he's looking at you and he's saying, why are you so, why do you even, I mean, I love running the aisles and I love dancing and we do that around here a lot and we're not going to stop it. Amen. But why do we run the aisles? Sometimes I wonder when you're dancing, do we even know what we're, I thank God for the great music and a great beat, but are we dancing with a beat or are we dancing with a revelation? What, what are we doing while we're worshiping? Why Are we just replacing our Saturday night slide in the club with a disconjointed dance on the Sunday? What are we doing here? Why are we here today? Are we here because we're checking a religious obligation that we might not go to hell? Are we here because we're afraid somebody will harass us if we don't show up to church? Or are we here today because we love the Lord Jesus Christ and nobody or nothing could ever keep me out of the house of God. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here this morning. Why are we even here? Why do we do what we do? Why do we buck and dance and groove and cry and snot and snort? Why do we do all of this? Do we do it because we got some religious pride that we're not like everybody else? Or do we do it because we're truly not ashamed to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth? When we sing the songs about how great he is and how marvelous he is, are we really thinking about his never yielding, never failing love toward us? Or are we just caught up in the emotion? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with emotion because we need emotion in our worship. But what I'm simply saying is this. Do we get so caught up in the superficial? Do we get so caught up in the moment that we forget the commitment? This isn't the focus of my sermon this morning, but this is what Naomi says. Naomi, Naomi says, girls, I, I'm just too old to deal with your young drama. Amen. Girls, I'm just, uh, I'm a little too old to be playing your, your, your Teen Vogue magazine games. I'm, I, look, in other words, I don't even understand Instagram, girls. I, I don't got time for this because I'm going somewhere. You see, you see, my whole life I have heard, amen, I've heard this story preached about. I've heard this story talked about. And I'm going to tell you, it's a beautiful parallel. It is a beautiful parallel of the church, amen, because Naomi realized, see, see I've always heard Ruth preach at the church, but really it's Naomi's the church in this story because Naomi, she was the citizen of another country. She was living as a stranger in a strange land, and she realized, I'm headed home, and I want you to know something, child of God, amen, the church that you're a part of, we're, we're, we're not of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. I've said it before. I thank God for this nation, but this is not an American church. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are citizens of another country. We don't belong to this zip code. We don't belong to this country. We don't belong to this world. Amen. Because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures, my home is somewhere beyond the blue. 
I, I come to preach. I've come to preach to a Naomi this morning. You don't got time to fool around with things in the world and people in life that are not committed and going all the way. Naomi had a revelation in that moment. She realized these girls were young enough, amen, that she was still gonna have to train them, Sister Priscilla. She realized that when she got them into Judea that she was gonna have to teach them the ways of God. She was gonna have to teach them to be ladies. She was gonna have to teach them customs. She was gonna have to teach them doctrine. She was gonna have to teach them worship. She was gonna have to teach them a language. She was gonna have to teach them all of these things. And she realized I'm an old woman and I don't got time to be raising up some young girl that isn't serious. I don't got time to take you if you're gonna get homesick halfway there and turn around and run back to mama's house. I don't got time to take you all the way to Bethlehem only for you to refuse to change and refuse to live for God. And she realized I, I, got, I gotta raise these girls. And I just don't have the patience at my age to put up with people who are insincere. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. She had a choice. She could see it in their eyes. Who was desperate? Who was willing and who was not? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here. She knew in her heart which one wanted to follow her. And so when the test came down to it, and she said the words, Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Verse 14. And they lifted up their voice and they wept again. And the Bible said those faithful words that Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And you would think to yourself that Orpha was a very affectionate young woman, that Orpha really loved her mother-in-law. Amen. Orpha and Ruth were probably at, at the oldest, 24, 25 years old. And you'd think that young lady really must have loved her mother-in-law. And that young lady must have really loved Naomi because she began to weep and cry. And she gave her mother-in-law a kiss on the cheek. Amen. How beautiful and how affectionate. But when you understand what the Hebrew word for a kiss is and you understand how the Hebrew people viewed a kiss, you would understand it is not affectionate by our American standards because the Jewish people considered a kiss to be nothing more than a touch. You see, all the while Orpha was just kissing on her mother-in-law and saying how much she loved her. There was this pesky little girl with her arms wrapped around her waist and she was screaming and crying and the Bible said she clave unto her the same word for clave that said Ruth clave to her mother-in-law is the same word clave where it said that Naaman's leprosy clave unto him Laman didn't Naaman didn't have leprosy he was a leper and Ruth said you're not just my mother-in-law but you are a part of me and I am a part of you I'm going to tell you something. There's the reason some of people will not serve God with any longevity. The problem is they got their lips on the church when they ought to have their arms around her. They've got their lips on her when they ought to be dedicated to her. I 
I've come to preach to somebody this morning. Get your mouth off the church and put your arms around her. I don't care how much you can dance. You go talk to one of these gray hair veterans of the cross. They'll tell you how to live for God. You hold on through tough times. You hold on through rough times. You hold on in the good times. You shout to victory. You leap down the trial. But when it's all said and done, you put the kingdom first. We got too many people backsliding. We got too many people leaving the church because they think a kiss is good enough. You may have sealed your marriage vows with a kiss, but ask Jesus what a kiss meant to him from Judas. You're going to serve God, you need more than lip service. Some point you got to wrap your arms around the church until you are no longer able to be identified for who you are as an individual. Amen. Little oh God, Ruth clave a hold of Naomi, and if you looked, you wouldn't have been able to see where Naomi began and Ruth ended. See, Ruth said, Mama, I'm willing for you to be my identity. I'm willing to leave who I am in the past. Mama, I want to go where you go. And in living for God on this Sunday of sacrifice, Sunday of service, you better hear me right now. And I'm getting close to done, but I feel the Holy Ghost here. Amen. You better realize there is a dual nature in you. There is an Orpha inside every one of us. And there is a Ruth inside every one of us. Amen. And it, and it matters who you take with you. It matters who you give attention to. Amen. And I know my title, amen, may a little be a little whatever, but this is what I felt to preach. Amen. My title is simply this, Raise the Ruth. Raise the Ruth. You don't got time to raise an orphan. You don't got time to raise an uncommitted spirit. You don't got time to raise an emotional, effectual commitment. You've got to raise up a Ruth that says, Naomi, I'll go with you, come hell or high water. I'll go with you, church. I'm there. You're there at prayer meeting. I'll be at prayer meeting. We're at revival. I'll be at revival. Both of them started, amen, on an equal plane. They were both, Brother Matt, De Brother Matt De Leon, they were both Moabitess. They were both heathens, but one of them had something the other one didn't have. One of them couldn't get the sound of Moab out of her ears. One of them couldn't get Moab out of her heart. She never stopped listening to Moabitess music. She never stopped having Moabitess friends. And then there was Ruth. Oh, oh then there was Ruth. Ruth said, I don't care. I don't want Moabitess friends. I don't want Moabitess about this entertainment. I don't want more about this music. Give me Naomi. Give me the church.
I feel the Holy Ghost. Now, I have preached a version of this message at almost every youth convention or youth camp I've ever preached. I think I preached it here about 11 years ago. Amen. I preached a message called The Kiss or The Cleave, and a part of this message is in what I'm talking about right now, and it's very simple for you right now to say, come on, young people, you need to listen to pastors. So, young people, I'm going to preach to you, but I'm also preaching to, matter of fact, let me reverse that. I'm preaching to every adult in this place, and young people, I want you to hang on what I'm preaching to the adults. Amen. Because I got to tell you something right now mama and daddy and grandma and grandpa it matters who you are raising you are either going to raise an orpha who church is nothing to them but a tradition church is nothing more to them than just something they attend on Sundays or you are going to raise a Ruth a Ruth that says I've been called not to just go but I've been called to serve I don't go to see what I can get don't you dare, mama, don't you raise an orphan. Daddy, don't you raise an orphan that says I'll only send them to youth when they're singing on the platform. We'll only go to prayer when our finances are rough. You raise a Ruth that says I'll be there whether I'm involved or not. You're going to choose who you raise. You're going to choose who you raise. You're going to raise an Orpha that has an emotional connection or you're going to raise a Ruth that will not leave the church no matter what happens. Matter of fact, the Bible said that when Orpha kissed her mother-in-law the Bible said Ruth clave unto her and the Bible said Naomi looked down oh I feel the Holy Ghost right now brother Moreno there's that little woman that little girl hanging around her waist she's sobbing and a weeping and snots running down her face and Naomi didn't stop she didn't pat her on the shoulder and go oh, sweetheart look at you no no she, the test didn't stop it didn't stop right there sister Amrit she looked at her and she said why don't you get up and go after your sister-in-law look at her she's marching off in the dust and then all of a sudden all of a sudden Ruth weeping turned into a resolve as she grabbed tighter around her waist and she said Naomi I will not leave thee where thou goest I will go where thou livest I will live where thou diest I will die thy people will be my people and thy God shall be my God You better get something in you, church of God, that says I'm following this thing through. I don't care who serves God or not. I've decided to hold on to the church. I've decided to hold on and raise the roof. Through good times or bad, I'm gonna raise the roof. Come hell or high water, I'm gonna raise the roof. You hear me right now? I'm blessed to be your shepherd. 
I love you as your pastor, but I've come to tell you the revival God's given this church. I don't got time for a bunch of orphans that only serve God when the going's good. I don't got time to pastor a bunch of weak-kneed people who don't want to love God. I'm looking for some reeds that we can raise into the kingdom. raise the roof you gotta raise the roof you gotta get Moab out of your heart you gotta get the world out of your heart you gotta get sin out of your heart pastor why you keep saying that because Orpha Orpha never stopped questioning Naomi because Orpha could never sell out to Naomi because Orpha could never sell out to the journey she, I'm going to tell you something you will always turn back to what is originally in your heart you can have a Ruth mentality my God I feel the Holy Ghost here you say pastor that what you preached last Sunday and what you preached today you're going to run people off no no I'll run orphans off I'm looking for some roots to raise I'm looking for some roots that say pastor teach us holiness teach us the doctrine we'll hold on I don't care about Moab anymore I don't care about the world anymore I want to be a Ruth I want to hold on Let me tell you what happened with this young lady. And I'm almost done. Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost here. Ruth made that journey. A Moabitess woman the whole way on that journey, Brother Matt. Naomi saying, now baby, when we get there, there is some speech you use that's not going to be appropriate in Bethlehem. Honey, I, I know you may not understand it, but but when we get to Bethlehem, there's probably some music you're used to in Moab. We're not going to allow in Bethlehem. Is this all right to preach on a Sunday? We're still an apostolic church, right? You know, Brother Ryan, I, maybe eight days into the journey, she looks at her and she says, Baby, come on. Now, when we get to Bethlehem, honey, I... I you may not understand this, but there's some things you're wearing you're not going to be able to wear there. Because Bethlehem ain't Moab. And Ruth didn't go, well, you tell me why. You tell me why. She didn't do that not one time. She said, yes, ma'am. Where? What words do I need to say? What? 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 What, is, what, do, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? I'll do it. I'll do it. How, how do you say that, Shema, again, Naomi? How do you say that again? How do you say that again? Because we don't have that in our language. How do you, how do you say that, Shema? Oh, hero Israel. The Lord our God is 
Oh, oh, that's beautiful, Naomi. I never even heard of a one God before, but I'm so glad. And, and Naomi wasn't taking Ruth to a palace. Naomi wasn't taking Ruth, amen, to cabinets filled with food. Naomi was taking Ruth to a home that was run down, to shelves that were barren, because Ruth wasn't following Naomi for the glitz and the light and the glamour and the blessing. She just said, Mama, take me where you go. They show up to Bethlehem. Day one, they get to the house. The roof's caving in. Cobwebs, spiders, rats in the house. They clean it up. And the very next day, Naomi says to Ruth, Honey, I know we just got here and you're tired, but uh, you see that field out there? I need you to go grab some bags or some buckets. And you go walk out that field. Now, on the edge of the field, according to our law, According to our religion, the edge of the field cannot be harvested by the landowner. They leave that for poor people like us. And if you're going to get, if we're going to be able to eat, honey, you got to get out there and work. Well, I still believe that ought to be the gospel truth. And if you're going to eat, you got to go out there and work for it. First day, she didn't get to rest. She didn't get to take it in. She didn't go visit cultural sites and museums. She grabbed a basket and she walked out and she started gathering wheat. And I'm trying to shorten a very long story. All of a sudden, a man by the name of Boaz, a very wealthy man, looks out and goes, who is that good-looking fox out there? My goodness. Woo! Then she tur- he turns to his servants and said, I want you to leave out a little extra for her. Naomi gets wind of this and says, where are you getting all this? This is the best of all the grain. Where are you getting all this? And, and Ruth is so ignorant to the customs. She just said, well, the guy that owns the field, his name is Boaz. And he gave, and Naomi lit up. She went, that's your kinsman redeemer. She went, a what? She said, he's your redeemer. Well, what does that mean? Well, in our law and in our religion, when a brother dies, the other brother is by law obligated to marry the widow. So the widow will have a home. And she said, but that's not my, she said, it doesn't matter. He's looking at you. He thinks you're one hot mama. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find where they're camping. I want you to find where they're camping. You girls do this and you're in big trouble. This was Old Testament. I want you to find where they're camping. And I want you to slip up under the edge of his blanket. And I want you to cover up at his feet. I want you to just... And Ruth, doing what she was told, she put on a little perfume. And this is rated G, don't worry. And she slips up underneath the edge of that blanket and she curls up like a purring little kitten. 
And Boaz looks down and goes, I think I can make this work. And he redeemed her. You see, Naomi realized something. I am here to connect you to the Redeemer. And when Ruth got up underneath the blanket, the covering of her Redeemer, she was no longer just harvesting handfuls of wheat. Now she married Boaz and she owned the entire field. That's the smallest part of the story because Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. Jesse had a son named David. David had a son on down the line by the name of Jesus. What I'm trying to tell you, Ruth, if you'll raise up a Ruth, Ruth will bring redemption to your life. lift those hands right now on a Sunday of service we're going to raise roots in this place come on Naomi come on Naomi I want you to invest in a Ruth we're going to raise a Ruth we're going to raise a Ruth that's going to go to the Philippines and turn it upside down for Jesus we're going to raise a Ruth that'll go into Botswana and turn it upside down for Jesus. We're going to raise a Ruth that'll go into Argentina and turn it upside down with the gospel. We're going to raise a Ruth. I got to raise a Ruth by showing her how to be faithful to prayer. I got to raise a Ruth by showing her how to be involved in local church ministry. I've got to raise a Ruth. Hello, thank you again for joining the podcast of First Church. We're so honored that you were able to stop by and listen to this message today. Pray it was a blessing to you. I want to remind you uh, that you can get connected with us on our social media accounts by looking up First Church Woodland or First Church Vacaville, both on Facebook and Instagram. We would love to get connected with you there. Uh, also, you can go to our website, firstchurch.app, and download our app from there and stay connected that way. And uh, again, thank you so much for joining and we'll see you in the next podcast.